Danny Nasty Podcast on three, two, one, and we're rolling. And we're back. I'm at my home away from home here at Jambox Entertainment Studios. I'm here with my man, Lee Evans. I got to tell you guys, he's like a like a cold breeze on a hot summer day. He's got a very, very sexy voice. You guys know it well. He's wearing a Nasty Podcast t-shirt, always repping the brand. I love this guy. He's always wearing the merch, but... Uh, one thing about him, he's one of the kindest souls, and if you ever need anyone to talk to and you ever need anything to share, he's the person that's going to listen to you, and I just absolutely love that about him. It's kind of chilly out. How are you feeling this afternoon, Lee? It's great, man. It is chilly. It's a little brisk. You know, that's what I call it. It is brisk because it's not like crazy cold, you yeah. know, and the sun's out and it just kind of gets you energized, you know, so I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm wearing thermals right now under these diesel <laughs> jeans, man. I'm trying to, it's, I have the weirdest body. I'm like shaped like a pear and then my legs, they look like toothpicks, but I, I have a very hard time keeping my jeans on, man. Sometimes my ass crack falls out. My whole family makes fun of me. It's crazy, man. When you live with all girls, all they do is talk shit to you. I get more and more quiet every day, so this is where I like. I, I understand. I live with one woman, and all she does is talk shit to me. So. <laughs> you know, today's a really special day, man. Um, I have a friend here that I haven't seen in person in over 20 years. Uh, why don't you describe real quick? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give the proper introduction, but you t take a look at her. You know, I, I have to behave because my wife doesn't like me going all out on you know discussing people's beauty and how beautiful they are. I mean that in the most human resources friendly way. Just I'm, I like to give compliments. I love seeing old friends. What, what do you see in front of you? What do you think here? Well, well, all I can say is that just meeting um, this, you know, uh, Dana. Yes. For the first time, she came into the room a few minutes ago. You know, uh, the energy level went up a little bit. The room lit up a little bit. She looks great. You know, uh, she has great energy. You know, she has a great vibe about her. Yeah, we're just and, trying um, to paint yeah, the picture. Yeah, so that's it. Yeah. All right, so let me put it to you this way. You know, in the last two decades, she's been an incredible executive she's into innovation she's into design i really you know you really can't even define what she does because she wears so many different hats and again you know to reiterate this whole season is dedicated to my daughters which is why i'm only interviewing uh female role models and people that i think uh would really be a fine influence on my two little girls and so Dana Randall, who I have here today, uh, is someone who fits the script. You know, she's kind, she's warm. Um, I was recently on her Instagram and I was telling her before we started recording, I just felt like she's so courageous and she's, you know, it's so important to be open, honest, you know, to, re to release any type of pain, to, to let people know what you go through. We're all human and nothing's ever easy, but she does ooze a lot of love. She's very friendly, she's very warm. And I'm just really excited to get into this. I don't want to like go too much into the introduction. Dana, welcome to the podcast. Happy. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Happy. And I do want to say you are a very beautiful, attractive person, very stylish. She likes fashion. That I learned. Yeah. She likes that. pets. She likes dogs mm -hmm. a lot. Small dogs. She actually. likes food. I do like food. She likes wine. I do yeah, like but wine. But what's the favorite dog? Well, I have a Maltese. I'm all, okay, I, wow. I, I like, you yeah. know, four to five pound pocket dogs. Yeah, okay. And she likes interior design. I do. And I want to say something. Um, I went through your website and I went through your speaker reel. Uh-oh. No, <laughs> I, was, I was blown away. I was so um, 
I was amazed by how comfortable and how confident and just you have this innate ability to just really connect with your crowd. And it's just, this isn't something you can learn in school. This is something you either, you either have it or you don't. And it's obviously like a natural gift that God gave you to be able to just speak with people and have them believe in you until they can believe in themselves. So I thought that was a beautiful thing about you. Thank you. You're welcome. Where should we start? Where do we start? You know, 20 years ago, the last time <laughs> I saw you. So last time we saw each other was like 95, 96. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's, you know, typical <laughs> high school girl, very fashionable, always looking good. Definitely one of the popular girls and, uh, definitely someone I would consider untouchable at the time. And, yeah. uh, so what happened after high school? Where did you go? Let's Ooh. go. Let's start with that. Well, I didn't have a traditional path. Let's just say that, you know, I went to college in Ohio and I was in a crazy major how my parents allowed me to do this still boggles my mind, but I think they were of the mindset of this is something she loves, let her do her thing. So I went to Ohio State as a dance major, Wow! which meant I didn't take math and science and English. I took stage lighting and ballet, and my days looked very different than your average college freshman. I pledged a sorority like most girls from Long Island did. Yeah. But I ended up being a complete disaster in college because I was basically in a major where I was an athlete. I was, you know, training alongside the Ohio State football players. I was going to classes that required me to be physically active. And that wasn't particularly conducive to also, you know, drinking and partying and doing all the Greek life stuff. So I completely, like, failed almost every class. No way. It was a mess. I went I, to school in Ohio also, by the way. Did you? Not Ohio State. I went to Kent State. Oh, yeah. I couldn't right. get into Ohio State. Really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's how bad I did. Okay. So no judgment here. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I got a GPA at Ohio State that my family looked at me and said, like, you actually have to try to get grades that hard, like that bad. Like, yeah. you have to, like, that's not, we don't even know how you did that. So, <laughs> so after about two years and also having, like, several injuries and it was very clear that my future as a dancer was not going to come to fruition. This was just not my path. So I dropped out of college. I moved home, and home now became Florida because I was the, you know, the last of three kids. Once I graduated high school, my parents are like, we're out of here. We're going you know, to Boca where all the other people from Long Island go. Yeah. <laughs> and I moved to Florida, and I had to completely start over and figure out what to do with my life. You know, I had really never had a, a job before besides being like a summer camp counselor. So I was working for the first time and really finding my way. And I'd say about two years in, I discovered uh, web design and websites and computer programming. And I started to teach myself and then I eventually started to take classes, um, and then I got a job working and doing some web design and web development work. Eventually, I did go back to school, and I got my degree in web design and computer programming. 
Um, and I had a pretty good career in Florida for about, you know, 10 years. Wow. You know, working at various tech companies. Um, some jobs were in marketing. Some jobs were in design. But I had a bigger plan. And I had a bigger dream. And I wanted to work in advertising. Hold on. I have a question. Yeah. Now. Like, while you're going through this process, you yeah. go back to Florida. Yeah. You're, you're rebuilding your life. Now, during the course of those 10 years, was there a part of you that ever – were you being hard on yourself? Was there a voice inside of you saying, look, this is great, but I know that there's something more for me. Like, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like, how did you feel about yourself during the huh. course of those 10 years? Like, honestly, how did you feel about yourself? Um, good question. So – it's interesting your perception of me growing up uh, because I was the most insecure person you probably have ever met. And that's definitely not what the world saw. That's not what I put out there. But I was definitely uh, suffered from a tremendous amount of insecurity. And, you know, maybe some of that stemmed from my earlier years in, in the dance world and, and the constant criticism that you are facing also like standing in front of a mirror for many, many hours a day. But I was a very insecure person. Um, I never felt like I fit in. I always felt like an outsider. I always felt a bit like an alien from a, another planet who had landed. And I kind of looked like everyone else, but there was just something about me that always felt a bit out of place. Um, and I think that through that process and through saying, oh, you know, I want to do this or I want to do that. It was really just trying to find a place where I fit in. Right. But that's definitely not what people saw from well, How did the you feel about yourself? Like, were you, what was the self-talk? Were you hard on yourself during those days? I was always very, I mean, I mean, to this day, I'm still very hard on myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm much kinder to myself today mm -hmm. uh, than I was then. Yeah. Would you say you were abusive to yourself? Not abusive. You to yourself or not? not abusive. I think that I definitely did things and behaved in ways that I look back at today and, you know, I either say, well, I'm lucky to be alive or, you know, why was I trying to numb myself like that? Or why was I going along with things that I knew weren't, right or hanging out with people that were not really great people because I didn't have the confidence to, you know, stick to what I really knew in my heart. I was just kind of often going along for the ride. Um, I was never like hateful towards myself, um, but I definitely didn't love myself. Mm. And I think a lot of people face that. Yeah, I've definitely suffered that. I mean, there's been so many times in my life where I've looked in the mirror and I didn't like what I saw. Um, so I've, I mean, I feel like I'm constantly working on myself. And I think that one of the biggest things I'm trying to teach myself is to speak to myself the same way I would speak to somebody that I love. Mm -hmm. And so I struggle with that, even to this day. And I do everything I can to be a little bit more gentle and try to take a vacation from being hard on myself, you know? 
I do. I, it's, it's interesting because I have a lot of very close friends and they always tell me I am the best therapist. Yeah. That I should have gone into psychiatry like my mom. And I said, absolutely not. But I always gave great advice, but I never took <laughs> my own advice. Yeah. Um, I also look back at, and this is mostly like my 20s. I look back at my, my behavior, the things I did to people. And I'm kind of horrified, right? Mm. Like I just, all of that stemmed from not being kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. Have you forgiven yourself for that? Definitely. So what leads you into a place where you're working with brands, the biggest brands in the world? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I was so impressed. I went into your website. I'm like, holy shit, she's got like a million <laughs> awards. Mm -hmm. She's worked with some of the biggest brands I've ever heard of in my life, brands that I use every day. Mm -hmm. Like, So what led to all that? I uh, was about to turn 30. I was not happy with my job. I was not happy with my life, my relationships. I just knew this is not it. Um, I quit my job. I sold my car. I broke my lease. I packed my bags and I moved back to New York City, rented an apartment sight unseen. I sent one of my friends to go look at it and I said, just tell me if it's okay. Um, and I showed up, you know, with a suitcase and my little dog and was like, all right, here we go. Um, it was interesting because it was right before the crash. So I had moved to New York. By the way, I had no job. I had no plan. I had a little bit of money in the bank from selling my car, and that's about it. So maybe I had, what, two, three months of runway? Yeah. I mean, it was a bit reckless, but it worked out. And that's also what, like, your 20s and 30s are for, though. You can do things like that. Sure. I mean, I didn't have— If you don't have a family. I didn't have, have a family. I didn't have kids. Yeah. I, I, I was only responsible for myself. And if everything failed, I could always go home. You know, I was not I was not going to be in a situation where I was without somewhere to go. I could go move into my brother's house. He probably wouldn't be thrilled about it, but it would right. be an option. And going home would have been the worst thing in the world to you. Oh, that was not even an option. So that was enough motivation for you to make it fucking work no matter what. Absolutely. Yeah, like that was complete and utter failure. Yeah, I spent a lot of time running away. Yeah. OK. So I moved back to New York. I go on an interview for a job, I get the job, and that was my first job in advertising in New York. Um, and shortly after, the market crashed. That's when I came back to New York, actually, <laughs> right after that. Great timing. Yeah. When I was working for this uh, ad agency, most of our clients were real estate developers. And that was one of the industry's hardest hit by the crash at that mm -hmm. time. And I barely knew the names of the people on my team that reported into me. And it, I mean, we're talking a matter of weeks. I really was only getting a handle on what they even did there. And the owner of my company came to me and said, we need to let go 50% of your team. And I had to fire people who it had nothing to do whether or not they did a good job or not. It was just simply a, a math problem I had to solve. Mm -hmm. And um, that was horrible. So I 
but I had a job and I was grateful that I had a job and I took a pay cut like everyone took a pay cut but I was able to you know keep my head above water and while that was going on now I had all these friends that designers programmers videographers that were now all out of work and then I had another set of friends who were still in their advertising agency jobs they still had to deliver for their clients but everyone had half the team and we were all looking at each other going how are we supposed to do this so while I'm still in my full-time job running digital at a at an ad agency my side hustle was matchmaking my now out of work network of designers programmers you know animators and matchmaking them with friends at agencies that needed to get work done and they could hire people freelance mm. to, to do the job. They just couldn't offer them full-time jobs. So I spent, I don't know, several months, not quite a year, but several months doing this as a side hustle. While working a full-time job. While working a full-time so job. So what kind of sacrifice was that on your personal life, for example? I didn't have a personal life. Was it something that you wanted, though? Of course. Like, were you the type of person, like, I want to be married, I want to have kids? I don't even know if you're married or have kids right now. I'm, I'm not asking. married, and I don't have kids. Um, I, it wasn't my focus at the time. You know, I had just come back to New York. I was there to, you know, really launch my career. And do so, well enough not to go home. And not, exactly, <laughs> and not fail. Right. So that was my priority. I'm not saying I didn't go out, I didn't go on dates, I didn't have fun, but like my priority was definitely work and, you know, figuring out. And because also I was staring like failure in the, in, in the face. I, I knew it was just a matter of time. You know, things were not looking good. You know, yeah, I let go probably half my team, but the financial troubles of the company I was working at were not going away, they were getting worse. And I just knew that I didn't I didn't have a great plan. It wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this side hustle and that's going to turn into a full-time job. Right. I was just kind of answering um, a need in the market at the time. Eventually, it got me into trouble because I was on lunch breaks actually playing more of like a business development or sales type of role and marching into companies with these teams and and like helping them close deals and 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 get you know get these projects that's amazing which was great until the company i worked for found out right. and they were like hey this is a conflict of interest like you can't do this and i said well i'm not really doing anything i'm really just you know connecting person A with person B and occasionally yes I do show up to a meeting just to you know make the introduction but I'm not doing the work and they said you can't do this it's a conflict of interest and I had to make a decision so again maybe a little reckless maybe a little impulsive but I left my full-time job and I went full-time into what ended up being building my own digital agency it seems like you've done a really good job listening to your intuition. Like yeah. Most people don't. I trust my gut a lot. And often people will question me for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I will come across as impulsive or reckless, but I have always trusted my gut. Who are the people questioning you? Are, is this family and friends? Like, who are these people that question your judgment? 
at that time, sure, family and friends. Now, they trust me. Yeah. They've seen it's always worked out or mostly worked out. But it's not safe. A lot of the things I did were not, you know, the safe route. I took a lot of risk. But did their doubts ever give you seeds of um, inadequacies or were their doubts just their opinion? I respect it. I appreciate it. Thanks for sharing. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do anyway. The latter. I thought so. Okay. <laughs> like, thanks. Yeah. I hear you, but I'm yeah. going to. I just want to clear that up for yeah, people. Yeah, I'm going to do me. You know? I'm going to do me. I have a lot of questions, so I hope you don't mind. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, that's good. Details are very, very important. It's so, good. No matter how small. So I accidentally started a company that I never intended to start. Um, and I had no intention at the time of ever working direct to brands. Because I'm, I'm bringing this up because you said I've worked with some of the biggest brands in the world. But at the time, my plan was I'm just going to – She has such a big dick. I just want to say that. <laughs> I just got to throw that. You know you have a big dick. I, no, no, no. I don't no, even no. know the size of your balls. They're probably bigger than mine. Giant. Um, <laughs> tough um, I, I had no intention on working for brands. I just said I'm going to work for agencies and I'm going to be the little guy behind the scenes that like gets shit done, but like they take all the credit, that's fine, but I I get paid so I don't care. And um you know, I think it's now close to 10 years later. So, and this was not that I was like I'm going to tell you a story and it's going to blow your mind and this is not the story I had in <laughs> mind, but I'm going to tell you this one too. So, I now started this business and it had a radical concept that I was going to have no employees. Now, for context, this is like 2008, right? Now there's a lot of businesses that look like this. But at the time, this was like, what do you mean you have a company, but you have no employees and no office? I went into a co-working space um, I had this network of people. I hired them as freelancers as needed based on the on the contract. Fucking this brilliant. is but this was at the time quite a radical approach. And um And how did you know those people would be available at any given time I when didn't. you needed to utilize them? I didn't. I just my job was to maintain a large enough database that if person A wasn't available, then there was a B or C. Right. You know? Um but at the time, most a lot of people were out of work, so it wasn't really a huge problem. But I'm curious, later on, as things got more established, these people that you had in your yeah. database, did any of them start getting greedy and start asking for more and more money where you had to like start going to person B and C? It wasn't because they were getting greedy. So what happened was, actually, I'll get to that point, because what drove, I, I, I then changed the plan completely and I broke all my initial rules, but... What happened was um, I was sitting in a meeting and I had an idea. The iPad had just been announced and I was talking to someone about magazines. And at the time, a lot of the work that we were doing was building like microsites for for brands. So these like little micro experiences. And we started to think about, oh, everyone's talking about how magazines were going to be on the iPad and what's that going to be? And I realized that there was going to be this new space where it was like the microsite in the magazine. It, years later, it was called iAds, but this was before any of that had been defined. 
So I and I now had a business partner who actually went to high school with you, a couple of years older than you. Um, and I said, I, I have this idea. Let's make a video and talk about it like we're actually already doing it. So we're talking about here's what we're doing in R&D. And then of course, I've got brilliant designers, animators. So we put a, what looks like a prototype together. We put this video on YouTube. It gets picked up by uh, you know, a, a, a site. I don't remember the name of it, but it gets picked up by a site. Um, and that changed everything. Now, of course, you talked about like uh, insecurity. You know, what was happening was I started reading the comments of this YouTube video and all anyone would talk about was my accent. We just, can, can this bitch please shut up? She sounds like a fucking idiot. I can't listen to her voice. And not a com not a single comment about my business partner who has the same accent that I have. He grew right. up in the same town that we did. Right. And it was all this commentary directed at me and it really shook me. But the joke was on them because I got a phone call from a company that I had to Google while I was on the phone with them. And it turns out they're like the biggest telecom company in all of Canada. Mm -hmm. And they said, hey, we saw your video and we're thinking about bringing all of our magazines to iPad and we want to talk to you about it. And it took about six months, but eventually their editor in chief, their head of digital, like all the big players of this major company fly to New York. They come to my office, which is in a co-working space, to meet with my team to talk about bringing all of their magazines onto the iPad. Here was the problem. I had no employees. Right. And weren't you terrified? So I called up everyone I knew. She said, cross the bridge when I get to it. I said, free office space for the day. Bring your computer. Come do your work. I don't care what you're working on. Just, you know, come hang out. Filled the... <laughs> Filled all the empty desks in this co-working space with my quote-unquote team. Right. Um, I had my best friend who was working in social media at the time play the part of the head of social media. My brother, who was uh, an engineer as a head of technology. Uh, one of the guys who did a lot of uh, freelance design for us as our art director. And I cast a company like a show. And the meeting went great. We took them to a nice restaurant in Tribeca for dinner at the end of the meeting. The next day, you know, so they go back to, to Canada. The next day I get a phone call and they said, like, great meeting. You're hired. Holy shit. Wow. That's crazy, right, Lee? <laughs> I mean, that's insane. That's brilliant. Yes. The problem is, I was like, wait a second, we just sold a $28 billion company on bringing their 35 magazines to a technology platform that we've never built anything on. You know what I'm more <laughs> impressed by? I'm more impressed by the amount of leadership she showed because all of those people, none of those people actually worked for her, but she was honorable enough, obviously, as a person for them to be loyal to her and come through and be there for her. They did. I think that's the biggest deal in the story. Well, then I hired most of them. Because I needed a team. Right. That's so it crazy. worked out for everyone, right? Yeah. They, they they said, okay, we're going to come sit in this person's office today. We have no idea what we're supposed to do. 
And, you know, a lot of those people ended up with full-time jobs. So I did break my rule of no, no office, no staff, because now we were taking on this huge initiative and um, I needed full-time people. And for a while, I still paid them as freelancers, as contractors, but it was clear that this work was going to continue for a couple of years and the economics were not there. I mean, the, the, the cost of doing business for me, um, keeping them as contractors was not, I mean, I, I, w- I wasn't making any money. Right. So, you know, when you asked, oh, did, did people get greedy? Did they, you know, ask for more money? No, it was the opposite. You know, I was able to finally give them a security a full-time job and health benefits. And what about for you? Oh, I didn't pay myself for four years. How many people were you, are we talking about here? My company grew to about somewhere between 30 and 50 people. Wow. But how are you covering your bills? How are you covering your expenses? I mean, I would pay myself just enough yeah. to pay my rent and, and my bills. And my business partner did the same. You know, we were paying everyone around us nice six-figure salaries, right. but we were just taking the bare minimum because, you know, ultimately this client kept the lights on. Oh, and we then moved into a nice office space. We, yeah. you know, we, and I made a lot of mistakes, right? Like I grew too fast. I probably should have negotiated some lower salaries for people um, that w- was still like respectful of what they, what their work, but it was really just more than I could afford. In your professional life yeah. so far, like have there ever been times where, you know, you had these times where money was coming in mm-hmm. and you were secure and comfortable and then times where you were like, Holy shit! I have no money. What am I gonna do? And Absolutely. Then times where you're like, "Here's my money again." Like, was it? Has it been a roller coaster? That's ride what for it you? was the entire time I ran that business. You know, um, especially when that particular client went away, not because we did anything wrong, but over time they built a team in house that could do this work. They didn't need us anymore. Um, they represented seventy five percent of my revenue. So when 75% of your company's revenue goes away, and now you still have the same office space and you still have this team, I was... They also gave you credibility. Yeah. With other companies. Of course. To pitch. Of course. I mean, I don't regret any of these decisions, but... They don't sound regrettable. The roller coaster and the stress that I went through during those years, you know, not knowing how I would make payroll was ultimately drove me uh, to close the business. Yeah. Because I just, as tough as I was, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And that felt like a big failure. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it was around 2014. Well, I'm sure like there's these nights that you just feel sick to your stomach where you're just in bed up all night thinking, what am I going to do? And there's nobody there to just rub your back and tell you that it's going to be okay because it's not. It, it, yeah, there, there was, there was no fix. Yeah, you know, I had to at times say to my employees, "Your paycheck's going to be late," because I was waiting on five clients to pay their bills. And you're honorable, so that's a really hard fucking pill to swallow. It was horrible, you. you know. Like it was, it really is what drove me ultimately to close the doors, mm-hmm. because I just didn't have it in me to to continue that life. 
Right. So what happened after that? Well, I thought I was unhirable because, you know, you said, like, I don't really know what I do for a living at that point. You know, I'm running a company, but I was to some extent like a generalist because I was doing so many things. I was wearing so many hats, you know, um, and I had no idea where I was going to go. But I ended up through my network. Your network is very important. Um, getting an interview at a company where my brother actually worked and it wasn't like a right away thing, but eventually I got a job there. And that job ended up leading to my next job because what happened was one of my clients uh, ended up hiring, like one of the accounts that I worked on ended up hiring me in-house for a new role that they had created, which was a global head of innovation for like a major multi-brand fashion retailer. Mm -hmm. So I had been doing the job for them as like an external person for mm -hmm. about a year. And then they realized, oh, you know. She's valuable. It makes more sense to have this person like under our roof. Yeah. So, you know, it, it all worked out. But, uh, you know, I'd say the hardest, most stressful years of my life up until the past year would have been when I was running that company. Mm -hmm. I also am most proud of those years. I'm super proud of the work that we did. I'm, I'm mostly proud of the company I built. I'm not saying it was perfect, but you know, I'm pretty proud of the culture that we created. Well, why put it under the category of you know, failure? Um, it felt like a failure. When you have to close the doors to a business because you can't make it financially work, it's a failure, but that's okay. You yeah. learn from it, right? I think that's also perspective, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't that, do it again. No, but I also <laughs> believe like every, like especially for me also, like everything that I've done in my life has led me to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. So all the systems and tools that I've learned from my previous things have always come into my new things. You Absolutely. Know? So like I try, like I know what you're saying. I, I probably feel the same way you feel, so I'm talking a big game right now. At the moment, it felt like an epic failure. Yeah. Looking back on it now, I realized that I could not do any of the things that I did after that point had it not been for that experience. Yeah. Like it just, I didn't have the perspective. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the experience. Yeah, it's also like a one in a million thing that you did. You know, most people don't have the courage or the balls to just, you know, pull the trigger and say, you know what, I can fucking do this. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. But I guess I trusted my gut. I knew something was coming. I knew no one else. It wasn't like everyone else knew how to do this thing. And I was trying to get in on something that other people were doing. It was a space that no one was really in. So there were no experts. Yeah. And I said, OK, we're going to become the experts. That's so cool. Yeah, you know, to me, it's, it sounds a little bit like uh, if you were to average it out, it would be maybe 50% uh, genius, you know, uh, 40% win, 10% failure at the end. If you, ha if you have to accept the failure, right? If sure. you have to put the failure in there. So when you average that in, the failure is almost like, okay, it's not even, you know, that meaningful because, you know, everything has to come to an end at some point. I think just you know? the story so, of that whole entire experience is just impressive. The whole, yeah, the whole thing is like great. You know, I think there's like some real brilliant, you know, some brilliant stuff and that like overshines everything. Yeah, you great. just know how that's to solve a great problems. Story. Period. Creative problem solver. Yeah. I'd say yes. that's my uh, official job title. Right. That's a good title. <laughs> I think so. So, do we want to break into the personal stuff now? Do sure. Do we want to talk about the life-changing event? 
Sure. All right. Wait, is that the title that you gave yourself where you were trying to figure out like what it is that you do? You said, yeah. Oh, Creative problem solver. Yeah, I mean, for a while, because I was like, I don't know what I am. You know, I, I was a creative at my core, right? I was a designer. I was a creative. Um, and I was pretty good at solving problems. So, yeah, I mean, it was right. uh, no one has that, unfortunately, in their like company roster as an available job title. But, you know. Yeah, but also, like, why do you, you know, why do you have to say, okay, I'm, you know, uh, I'm an executive or I'm a creative or I'm a problem solver? Why, why, why do we have to say she or he is one thing or the other? Why can't you be many things, you know, which is what you are? Sure, if you want to yeah. work for yourself. But if you want to yeah. work for other people, you have to fit into a box. Yeah. You know, I was going to say exact, those, those exact <laughs> words because they want to put you into a box. Yeah. Yep. That sucks. I think that's crazy. All right. So I'm going to give a quick little story because and it'll lead into your story. Okay. So like, I don't know, I want to say 13 to 15 years ago, I was living in South Florida. And at the time, I had been working with like this affiliate real estate marketing company. And it had like two parts to it. One part was they had a marketing system, an education that they sold. It was $20,000. The other side of it was they showed you like 30 different strategies of how to buy and sell real estate. So I found this company, I'm in South Florida, I'm young, I'm looking for myself. I end up walking into like one of these hotel um, pitches, you mm -hmm. know? And so I walk out immediately and then I end up going back and seeing it a second time and a third time. And then I end up getting involved with it. I did really well and I started speaking in front of rooms. I used to have maybe like 10, 15 people in a room, turned to 100, 200, 300 like one night a week in Miami, one night a week in Fort Lauderdale, one night a week in West Palm. So I started speaking in front of rooms and selling and I did really well and I really at the time enjoyed it and I really loved it and I really loved the opportunity to connect with people and it took me to this place where I was meeting like single moms that were making $25,000, $35,000 a year and we were showing them how to make that on a monthly basis. Like no joke, it was real. Mm -hmm. It really, it was a beautiful experience. And so one day I'm at my apartment, I'm in Aventura, I'm with my girl, I think I had my firstborn at this point. And me and my girl are just on the floor. We start fucking laughing. We're, we're very weird and goofy people. So we start laughing. And she looks at me and she's like, half your face isn't moving. And I was like, what? I thought she was fucking with me. Mm -hmm. So I go into the mirror and I smile. And the whole left side of my face is like fucking paralyzed. Okay. The day before, just so you know, I had um, one of my wisdom teeth pulled. So... Naturally, I was like, oh, it must have something to do with my tooth. So I go back to my dentist and they take x-rays. They look at me. They're like, no, it has nothing to do with, you know, what happened with your teeth. And they end up referring me to some doctor. I go to the doctor. Long story short, they're like, you have Bell's palsy. And, uh, and it was really scary. And they immediately put me on steroids. Mm -hmm. My left eye, even to this day, it still like tears a lot and doesn't always close all the way most people most people don't even know that this happened to me and I, and I really didn't tell a lot of people. I didn't even tell my family when it happened until I was like on the mend how long did it last um it lasted almost three months I okay. woke up every morning I was telling you earlier and I would run to the mirror just to see if there was any kind of uh improvement in my face um it was very emotional and at that time I was also speaking in front of hundreds of people and sometimes I'd go to Utah and speak in front of a thousand so I didn't want to go in front of a room looking like somebody, you know, hit me with a baseball bat in the side of my face, you know? So 
you know, eventually I started having some friends come over and they'd come in, they'd see my face and just start laughing at me immediately. And like that lightened the situation. I don't know why it just did, <laughs> even though it's fucking hurtful. Um, and so it was really hard. And like, I still like 97% of it came back. Mm-hmm. Like this side of my face, like if you look closely, doesn't fully move. One of my eyes is bigger than mm-hmm. the other. Um, when I smile, I don't, I, it doesn't fully smile. Like this side doesn't fully lift. Um, but I'm okay with it. You know, it was tough in the beginning and I got 97% better, but, um, it was really sad and it was really, um, it was really hard. And so you tell me your story. (laughs) Well, we've already established I am a fiercely independent person, a little bit of a vain person. And I had a very similar situation and we're actually coming up on my one-year anniversary like in a week or two weeks I um so I I went to the doctor because I had an earache and during the height of the pandemic I was so this is prior to this so prior to uh, this particular earache I was staying at my brother's house in New Jersey. I had an earache. It was like the height of COVID. You you couldn't even go to the doctor really if you wanted to. So I let this go for a while. And I read your description. You said it felt like someone stabbing you in the back of your ear with an ice pick. This was before that. So I, so I had, I had an earache. I couldn't go to the doctor. Eventually I went to the doctor. I had an ear infection, whatever. They gave me antibiotics. It was fine. But I had some hearing loss after that earache and that ear infection and eventually it came back but I learned my lesson like don't ignore an earache because you you could lose your hearing and I never really thought about that but then I I I knew about it so fast forward to roughly about a year later which was now a year ago and I have an earache so I'm like up I'm, I'm not going to do what I did last time. I'm going to go to the doctor. And I go to the doctor, and they look at my ear, and they said, looks fine. Here's some, you know, decongestant, whatever. Just, you're fine. Within three days of that visit, I started to get extreme pain, like someone was stabbing me in the ear with an ice pick. That's how it started. And I'm like, okay, I definitely need to go back to the doctor. This is not normal. But what happened was in a matter of 24 hours, um, I had fallen asleep on, on the couch in, in my apartment. My, my boyfriend was there. We were at this point dating six months. I'd say three months of like being in more like a more committed, serious relationship. Um, and so I'm basically with like this new guy. I fall asleep on the couch. I wake up. It's probably about one in the morning. He had gone into bed. He didn't wake me up because he knew I was not feeling well. So he was just like, I'll let her sleep on the couch. I wake up and I walk into the bathroom and I look in the mirror and I was like, what's wrong with my face? At this point, my face wasn't fully paralyzed it was just my left eye wouldn't blink 
And I was looking in the mirror being like, what's wrong with my face? And I couldn't, it like, took me a minute to figure out. By like, the way, that emoji you played with the eyes is yeah. so fucking funny. The, it was like the Disney princess thing. That, yeah, yeah, I love that you brought humor <laughs> into it. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go on. Yeah. I just, I just the, thought that was so cute. I thought that was so funny. Well, I wasn't feeling cute and funny yet. If cute and funny came later when I sort of accepted my reality. But at the time, so I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with my face? Yeah. I had had a friend who a couple. Wait, I'm sorry. So you blinked. And only one eye and would blink. And only one eye would blink. Yeah. And that totally freaked, because that would have totally freaked yeah, me you, out. You don't know yes. what, you're, you're looking in the mirror and you're like, huh? Because it's not, wow. it's not like a normal, not normal. thing. <laughs> so now I'm thinking about a friend of mine who a couple years earlier had a similar situation and it turned out that he had a massive brain tumor. He's okay, but he scary. had a brain tumor like the size of an orange. So- I, of course, wake my boyfriend up and I'm like, my face, my face, take me to the hospital. And I was like, I think I have a brain tumor. And he's like, you're out of your mind. Your face is fine. Yeah. But I was like, absolutely not. It was now, what, two in the morning. And I I live pretty close to the hospital. So I said, you, you have to walk me to the hospital. I wasn't going to like call an ambulance. So I was yeah. like, you have to walk me to the hospital. So at two in the morning, he walks me down the street to the hospital. As you should. As he should, but of course he can't go in the hospital with me because it's COVID. it's COVID. Okay. So now I'm sitting there, and they, um, you know, I'm in the ER, and they do they scan my head, and they make sure I'm not having a stroke, and they give me steroids, and they send me home saying you have Bell's palsy. Oh, and they gave me painkillers because I had this stabbing pain. They set me up with an appointment for- By the way, I never had any type of pain at all. Exactly. So this was the thing. Bell's palsy doesn't come with pain. Yeah. So someone in the ER should have asked the question, why does she have pain? And And by the way, it freaked me out when I got Bell's palsy that I went home and I went to YouTube to like just see videos of it. And I saw people like all fucked up on it. Yep. And I was so fucking upset because a lot of the people that I saw never- Never get their facial- function back yeah you know it's a certain percent do but most well many don't yeah so i go home i call one of my best friends and i tell her what happened and i said yeah they made an appointment for me for like a neurologist and ophthalmologist um in two weeks And meanwhile, my eye is like taped closed with like a gauze pad and like (laughs) it was not cute. I will say the only saving grace was that it was in the middle of COVID and we were all wearing masks. So I was able to hide what was happening, like a mask and a pair of sunglasses and no one knew what was going on. Were you freaking out about what the boyfriend would think or did you not give a shit what he would think? And how did he react so I wasn't like there yet because I was in shock with what was going on, you know, because also as each hour went by, because as I mentioned, when I went to the hospital, my face wasn't fully paralyzed yet. But within 24 hours, my face had like melted off and like half my face was like hanging and I kind of look like uh, like what Tom Cruise and like Vanilla Sky. Like yeah. you, you don't you look like something like is really wrong with you. It's yeah. not just that it doesn't move it, like it falls. Yeah. So 
I don't think I was like worried too much about what is he going to think because I was, you know, completely in shock about what was going on. And to to the point you mentioned, yeah, I'm like looking things up on YouTube and finding out that this could be permanent and, you know, my life is over. Yeah. It's my face. Like, yeah. you know. But I was talking to a friend and I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the neurologist in two weeks, but I'm in excruciating pain at this point. And she's yelling at me. Like, You're not waiting two weeks to go to a neurologist. So I go on ZocDoc. This is not sponsored. <laughs> you know, right. I go on ZocDoc. I find a neurologist in downtown where I live. I get an appointment that day and I just got very lucky. Because what happened was I went into this random neurologist's office. I didn't even see the doctor. I saw the the PA, right. who was a woman from the Ukraine. And she looked at me and she listened to like what I was saying was going on. And she said, you don't have Bell's palsy. I'm pretty sure you have something called Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, which is um, a very rare form of shingles. And I need you to go to an ENT to like confirm it. But in the meantime, I'm going to put you on some other medications. And um, what ended up happening was she was absolutely right. I did have Ramsey Hunt, which was shingles. It's Bell's palsy, like nasty cousin, right? Um, it's caused by the shingles virus. and But you don't have shingles like people know of shingles. It's mm -hmm. actually just in your head, like in your inner ear. And um, had I not gotten on those additional medications when she gave them to me- Before confirmation. Before she was even certain, right. but she just, she just said- knew this is what She knew, is. she had seen it before. Um, and just to understand how rare it is, it's something like- one in a hundred thousand. So most doctors, like I don't blame the doctor in the ER for not knowing what it was, because most doctors never see some with what someone with it. Like they may have learned about it in in school, but it's not something that they see regularly. But she happened to know what it was. So um, apparently, you had a seventy-two hour window from onset of symptoms to get on these medications. Otherwise, your paralysis will be permanent. Oh wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm speechless. That's like, yeah, that's like the twist in the movie, you know? Who was the friend that said you're going to the doctor now? Andrea. Thank God. From, like, yeah. growing up, yeah. What a friend. Yeah. And she's, you know, I mean, I owe my life to her and to that uh, PA in that neurologist's office because, look, I stayed paralyzed for for a while um, but I was, there were other things. So I not just, you know, I was in pain, but I also um, lost my hearing um, and I lost my vision on my left side and I couldn't, I lost my ability to speak normally because my mouth was half paralyzed. Um, and that was just the beginning. <laughs> it got worse from there. Yeah, you said you had vertigo also, right? Yeah. So after about uh, maybe three, four weeks, as my face was slowly, tiny bit, a tiny bit coming back, you know, to life, um, I was also weaning off of the steroids. That's when, just when you think you're getting better, 
my world turned upside down. Like literally my world turned upside down. I got um, two types of vertigo. Um, and I lost – I mean I, I said I'm like fiercely independent – I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't I couldn't really see. I, I had trouble hearing. I had trouble speaking. And then I lost my ability to walk because I had no balance. It was like I was living on a rocking boat all the time. I'd be walking down the hallway in my apartment building and literally like veer off and smash into the wall. Yeah. I'm getting nauseous just thinking of that. Yeah. It's it was terrible. Um and I had to spend about six months, like, relearning how to walk. Because to explain what happens is um, you have two ears. Most people have two ears. And your ears send information to your brain. And that – and your eyes also send information to your brain. And that gives you a sense of, like, where you are in space. Like, your – understanding of your body's position in space and what happened in my case was that my inner ear was so damaged from this virus um, nerve damage what have you that it was 89 percent broken so my left side was telling my brain something different from what my right side was telling my brain and my brain just went like haywire because it just didn't understand so it took me about six months to do like intense physical therapy and rehab, not like, oh, you have a sore shoulder and you need to rehab that muscle. I actually had to retrain my brain to it kind of ignore the, the conflicting information. Right. And um, I, will for, I will have permanent um, imbalance issues, though every day gets better because my brain kind of learns my new – um, internal gyroscope like it just yeah. it becomes normal yeah. um, I will always have hearing loss on my left side um, also hypersensitivity to sound which is why I ultimately have left well I'm in New York right now but I've left New York yeah. uh, because very loud noises you know cars honking and things like that are a very difficult for me very disorienting for me um, and also the cold is very difficult for me because I have nerve damage from that paralysis. Fuck. But it all sounds terrible. Yeah. But it was also also the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. I um, have a new job and a new career as a result of it. Um, and my entire perspective as like a person on this planet has changed. Uh, I never had a, a tremendous amount of empathy until I became disabled and learned to be empathetic. And I also – maybe it was like a bit of a, like a negative Nancy. Like I definitely like focused on the negatives and like what could go wrong mm -hmm. and – just in life in general, like I always just sort of saw and focused on the neg negative aspects of w whatever our situation was. And after going this through this type of experience and like losing everything, you know, losing my looks, losing my independence, losing my hearing, losing my sight, um, I completely had 
<laughs> my brain was re- rewired for the better. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, I focus on the positive now. Do people closest to you see and feel that change? A hundred percent. And they've mentioned to you, you seem different? A hundred percent. What a compliment. Yeah. So it's like, it sounds like this is this terrible thing that happened to me, but it actually ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me. Sounds like it didn't And I got very lucky also, right? Because I got my, you know, 90% of my face movement back. Honestly, I'm, I'm sitting across from you and I've been just looking in your eyes for the last however many minutes we've been here. I don't see it. You wouldn't, you know? Honestly, I'm not even trying to yeah. make you feel good. I don't, me personally, I don't see it. You, everyone knows their own face. So like it, yeah. you, the same way you see it when you yeah. look in the mirror. But to that point, like I got very lucky. What happened with the BF? He's still around. Okay, so he's a good guy. <laughs> well, I mean, you want to test a relationship and know what a yeah. person's made of. All I right, mean, so I like this guy. He's not a piece of shit. He is not, he's you know, guy. he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. And um, it is not what he signed up for. Right. Like really early on, I, I mean, I was, I couldn't get out of bed. I, and okay, I looked like a monster. You, lucky to fucking have you. Period. Yeah. And actually I've become a better partner to him as a result of like what I just said, because he has gone through a very tough year. He lost his father and, you know, it's very easy to be very negative and very depressed. Yeah. And my shift of my mindset has also been able to be helpful to him to kind of call him out and be like, yo, I understand like all this terrible stuff is like going on around you, but like here are all the good things that are happening, right? And I feel- That's a very supportive, loving girlfriend thing to do. I love it. Yeah, so he's he's a good guy, we're gonna keep him. So what's the secret you wanted to share? Yeah, you know, before that, I just want to shout out to um, uh, any listeners out there and just tell them that that is such a classic story of taking a big L and turning it into a major win that she just told us. Amazing. Yeah, I'm inspired. Yes. Thank you. So I had mentioned I didn't have a lot of empathy. Mm-hmm. And I would mentioned that I always felt like I didn't fit in. I was like a little bit like an outsider. And... Before this thing happened to me a year ago, I'd say maybe about two years prior to that, um, I had come across something that I, I, I read something about autism. And I was like, wow, that sounds a lot like me. And I then went to my mother, who happens to be a psychiatrist, and I said, hey, what do you, what do you think of this? This sounds a lot like me, doesn't it? Um, and she was like, no, 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 no. You can you can attribute those qualities to plenty of other things. So I kind of let it go. And then um, it kind of kept coming back for whatever reason. I would come across something on social media. I would, you know, whatever it was. I just kept getting hit in the face with this, like, uh, learning about autism. And I actually just then started to st- – I had friends with autistic children. You know, I was was just exposed to more, um, like, understanding of, like, how common, you know, autism is. And I started to study it, like, from the sense of, like, what I do as as a designer Um, because I started to understand that there were actual design decisions, like, that you can make as a creative to make whatever you're creating, like, more – enjoyable and more understandable for someone with autism. 
And then I would also look at these like rules or best practices and I would say, well, that's just good design anyway. Like that, that's just um, autism or no autism, it doesn't matter. But I kept kind of, it kept gnawing at me that I just had this like thought that like, hey, I really think that I could be on the spectrum. It, It answered a lot of questions and things that if I look back in my life that I was like, ah, that would make more sense then. So it was interesting because I was studying it also like professionally to be a better designer, right? And then I was also really looking into it personally. Um, And I was pretty confident that I was on the autism spectrum. And I did a lot of Again, it's not it's not like a medical diagnosis, but I did a lot of reputable self-assessments that I reached out to people in the autism community, adults that I know, especially adult females that I know with autism, and they pointed me in the direction of these assessments, and I scored off the charts on every single one of them, which again is not a diagnosis, but it was like, this is, means you probably should talk to someone about this. Like you, you might not be crazy. Right. And um, I was actually in the process of going through getting a formal autism diagnosis when I got Ramsey Hunt. So I couldn't continue with it because like there are things when they are doing an evaluation of autism like they look at things like your facial expressions and 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 sensory things but unfortunately all of that got completely thrown off because I was going through now this other thing but you know now that I've recovered um, from you know mostly from Ramsey Hunt you know I'll say that like the other mind-blowing thing is and I'm still yet to get like a formal diagnosis, but I have talked to yeah. I, therapists and people on it, it. Um, is I believe I'm autistic. Yeah. And that really breaks the mold of what people understand autism to be, like what autism looks like. Yeah. And um, now it's very interesting because as I said, like the best thing that ever happened to me uh, was getting Ramsey Hunt uh, is while I was out on disability leave recovering, I lost my job. So now I had to also figure out what the heck am I going to do with my life now? And I had a whole new set of limitations. Like I couldn't look at a screen all day. And I was like, what am I going to do? And you had mentioned like, oh, I'm very like open on social media. Well, I did another kind of crazy thing, which is I started, I wrote a couple articles about um, Ramsey Hunt and becoming disabled and having ultimately what's Meniere's disease and vertigo and all these things, vestibular. And I wrote a couple articles and I posted them on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And again, family, they were like, what are you doing? Like, why are you putting this out there? Well, it turns out that someone in my network, someone I'd worked with years earlier, um, reached out to me and said, hey, like, what happened? And do you know what I do for a living? And I said, I have no idea what you do for a living now. And he says, I own a technology company that works with major brands um, to help make their, like, 
websites and apps and digital products accessible for people with disabilities. <laughs> and so now having both this understanding that I very well could be on the autism spectrum and I've now also been dealing with physical disabilities, right. I had the opportunity to really be more of like an expert. In, so apply like my design experience then combined with understanding um, what people with disabilities go through. Right, you're not selling from an empty wagon. No. I, I And I'm not an expert in all disabilities, but I was... I had a pretty good roster, right? Because I, <laughs> I mean, I had some cognitive stuff going on with this, this, um, this autism aspect. I had lost vision. I had lost hearing. I had lost mobility. So I had a pretty good arsenal of things that I could say, oh, I can take my design knowledge and then my disability knowledge and, and do something with this. And that turned into a completely new job opportunity for me that I've now been at this company for like five months and it's like the greatest job ever. Oh, that's great, congratulations. So I'm saying everything kind of happens for a reason, but yeah, the... the you seem to have this way of always finding a need and and, uh, and just making shit happen, you know? It's awesome. It's not as intentional as it sounds. Yeah. I understand that, but I also feel like, uh, you know, whether you believe in God, you know, universe, Whatever it is you believe in, uh, I believe there's a natural flow in life, and I feel like your path, your flow, your life energy, your source bought you here. Yeah, I mean, I have... I feel like it was part of your plan, and I feel like that's why things intend to happen. Yeah, in that way. I've had a crazy life. Like I've worked with, I've I've had. Lots of wild experiences. And you have so much more to go. What were you saying to me earlier? We were texting. You were talking to me about all your stilettos. What were you saying about that? <laughs> well, you know, I, because living in in New York. Uh, I just want to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to interrupt. Just, just <laughs> Why so you are we guys talking know. We're, we're talking. I'm talking to someone who's incredibly fashionable. She's very, very fashionable. Very stylish. Yeah. We were talking about. I, from, I, from, I, from her hair. Yeah. To, to, to her to head shoe. to toe. Yeah, head to toe. <laughs> By Absolutely. the way, you know, before usually like when people are coming here, you know, before the interview, I always shoot them a text. I'm like, hey, listen, this isn't on video. It's just recording. Like, come comfortable. I'll probably be wearing jeans, whatever. She's like, well, I said, I don't know what your schedule looks like. So she's like, well, you know, I have some stuff to do. I'm going to be putting on my uniform. I was like, what? I'm like, what are my you uniform. talking about? So anyway, this is the uniform. This is the uniform. Dope uniform, by the way. <laughs> Somehow stilettos came into this. Yes. Let's, let's talk about this real quick. Well, I want to lighten it up a bit. Yes, yes, yes. So I I made a decision in January to move to Florida for a year, right? See how it goes. So I'm in New York right now packing up my New York apartment, but I've I've moved to Florida. And I was, I was joking with you because also obviously knowing you're in real estate, um, <laughs> I said, you know, I rented an apartment in Florida and my priority was that it had massive closets yeah. because I have a ridiculous shoe collection of which none of them I can wear anymore because I can't wear high heels. I have a balance disorder. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope to one day be able to wear them again. But in the meantime, I do still like looking at them. I absolutely will not part <laughs> with them. But I, I had to rent an apartment that like I was looking at two different buildings and I completely ruled one out because I said the, the closets are trash. Yeah. And my boyfriend was like, you're out of your mind. He's like, you don't even wear those shoes. I'm like, doesn't matter. 
So she so she turned out an apartment based on the closet I'm space you, for, shoes shoes for shoes that she doesn't even wear. <laughs> that I cannot wear. <laughs> I, that. I mean, I understand that. I respect that. I, I, you know what? I dig that. I'm Look, I'm just, I'm being hopeful and optimistic that one yeah. day I'm going to be able to get back into those stilettos. But in the meantime, I'll arrange them in a nice rainbow-like order and they'll look beautiful and I'll visit them when I get dressed in the morning. And that'll happen and they will welcome you. When you're ready. Yeah. yeah. And if not, they'll, st- I'll, you know, I told my niece, she better not uh, grow to be larger than a size seven <laughs> shoe because otherwise she's shit out of luck because I got a great collection for her. <laughs> Seven's my whole family, basically. Yeah. I think she seven. might already have passed the mark, but I, I've, I've been telling her since she was about 12 years old, don't let those feet grow bigger than a size seven because then you, you, you lose access to yeah. uh, my extensive investment in footwear. Crazy, you know, it's it's so nice. Like, you know, you don't see somebody for so many years, and you know, you get to learn about what life's been like for them and their path. And I don't know, I just I really enjoyed today, and I really had a good time with you. And I really, um, I I feel like you're so authentic and so sincere. And uh, I know that this is a big thing that happened to you, but you know, you were already a beautiful person. But I think this is just. I don't know. I feel deeply connected to um, to your outlook on life and who you are and what you've done and obviously what you're capable of doing and what you're going to do in the future. And uh, it seemed like you really just know how to serve others. And it seems like your focus is on that now, too, like from a really like heartfelt place. Uh, and I just think that's so wonderful. And Thank I you. think you're wonderful. Thank and I you. think you're beautiful and intelligent. Uh, you inspire me. Uh, there's so many things that I learned from you today, some things that I can, you know, I took mental notes, you know, when things come across my table and how to react to those things the right way. Uh, so I want to thank you for sharing that experience and that love. Um, and I can't wait till my daughters get to listen to you talk because, man, this is a great interview. 